time for History Matters. We are joined in the studio by Scott Washington, historian extraordinaire and explorer of the past with a look back at this week in history. Good morning. Yes, we all sit up a little straighter, stand a little taller when we hear that music come on to remind us about how history matters. And this is a great week. There's a couple of World War II dates that come up this week. D-Day uh, was the 78th right. anniversary, June 6th. Um, it wasn't really covered too much, uh, but a big uh, moment in history where the tide changes, where the Allies uh, come into France uh, through Normandy and the beginning of the end for Nazi Germany. It's remarkable. It's been oh, 78 gosh. years. Like yes. the, the, the people who stormed the beaches, the ones who are still yes. alive, are close to 100 years old now. That's right. And, uh, Some of them over 100. That's right. Yeah. Saving Private Ryan is the film I think yep. we probably best know and uh, still brings tears to my eyes when I see that. Yeah. Um, the other one name that comes up in um, uh, about World War II this week is Anne Frank. She has a birthday, uh, born uh, uh, this week on uh, June 12th, 1929. Uh, you know her best as the young girl who writes while hiding in the attic. She's Jewish, her family's Jewish, and they're hiding in Amsterdam until they're finally uh, discovered and then taken to a concentration camp they die. The father, uh, Otto Frank, is the one who afterwards finds her diary. Uh, it was kept by w one of the people at that uh, building, and um, and it gets subsequently published, and it's the best way we know about what that experience was like and how we can identify. So in these times, these strange times with Russia invading Ukraine, we think of the children. We think of the parents who are out there protecting their kids as best they can, and what kind of uh, ways that uh, we remember what's happening right now because that's a really important part yeah. of witness. It's a part of history and how we remember and know it. And the coping mechanisms that the kids have to yes. get through things like that yes, as well. Yes, yeah. exactly. And I think that you don't even have to be in Ukraine, even here, explaining uh, what the world is like and that there are good people even amidst the bad. Yep. That's what parents do best and help make history uh, something that kids can understand even while they're a part of it and understanding it. Okay, uh, there's a couple other things happening this week that uh, I think are kind of interesting, at least from a history perspective. Um, one, all right. Chemists, one, you can turn right. the radio off right okay. now. Now this, this, you know, you always, you know how I always like to lift up people who do extraordinary things. Um, these are a couple of people um, that that come up in the news. Um, one is named uh, Frank uh, Samuelson and George Harbo. Now, these are Norwegian-Americans, and in 1896, they get uh, kind of a hankering to do something really impossible. They've been at sea in some ways, but they were mm -hmm. doing clam digging in New Jersey, and they're good friends. Uh, That's already pretty hard in and of it itself. Uh, You've ever been <laughs> clam digging in New Jersey. <laughs> That's right. Uh, they're 26 and 32, and they decide to not only have a boat constructed, which is only 15 feet long, 18 feet long, and row it across the Atlantic Ocean to England. Now, this... Again, some people will do anything to get out of New Jersey. <laughs> I guess that maybe that was part of it, but they had a publisher um, uh, who uh, said, well, I'll give you a gold medal. It wasn't even a huge promise of prize, but they thought that sounded like a good thing. So they pulled their scavings together. They do this in 55 days. They arrive in England. The, their boat is called the Fox, after uh, the publisher. 
and uh, they arrive in England. You know, what's amazing is this feat has never been duplicated ever since then. Yeah. Um, I mean, who wants to be the second person to <laughs> row across the Atlantic well, in an 18-foot there boat? there have been other people who have done solo journeys across, and there was one uh, in 2010 that was four, that were four people rowing across, but not two. I mean, that's kind of an extraordinary record to hold <laughs> that has stood the test of time. If you think of everything that's happened uh, since 1896. This is the first, the, the first woman to go over Niagara Falls in a bucket. Like, there's not going to be a second. Like, once you've done it, no one else is going to do that yeah, again. Yeah, it's already been done. Yeah. Like, this is, that, that's one of those interesting kind of notes of history of just simply because we want to do it. And yep. I find all, too often that simply uh, fear may conquer reason, but desire always conquers fear. <laughs> and that's the case. And I'm sure a sense of humor as well. Like, eh, do you think it could be done? Uh, oh, yeah, let's, let's go do ahead it. and try yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right, a couple other ones. <laughs> We're are... good friends. We hang out. This can't <laughs> possibly be a bad idea. That's right. All right, here's one that comes up on uh, June 7th. It's a birthday of a woman named Gwendolyn Brooks born in 1917 in Topeka, Kansas, and uh, she moves with her family to Chicago, and there she is encouraged, and it really has a gift for writing, begins writing poetry, and um, actually in 1950 is the first African-American um, of either gender to be awarded the Pulitzer Prize for poetry. Again, expanding our definition of what humans are capable of, and again, pushing back against prejudice and bigotry everywhere simply by accomplishment. And I think that's a name that we don't always know, but probably should. Well, I know that some of our listeners do, because this was our impossible quiz question a couple of days ago well, on her yes, birthday, right. and like calls right in, <laughs> Gwendolyn Good. Brooks. Good, excellent. All right, well, another one is um, uh, born on same day, June 7th, 1843, Susan Elizabeth Blow. Now, this I don't know if this was um, uh, covered in the impossible quiz or not, but she's an American educator who becomes known as the first person to really start a public kindergarten in the United States. Um, she uh, travels abroad uh, in 1870. She learns about this German movement, about providing uh, play for, with kids and uh, teaching that way, young kids. And she comes back, does some more training, and then opens a school. This catches on, and it's something that we think of as standard today. Mm -hmm. Well, of course kids go to kindergarten. Well we can uh, thank uh, Susan Elizabeth Blow for that, which is kind of unusual, you know, to think of the origins of things. I also appreciate the word kindergarten because kids, when they're very young, two, yeah. three, four years old, and they're just learning how to read, they right. generally learn how to read words like cat and dog and blue and right. kindergarten and pink. <laughs> and Wait, kindergarten? Like, and you... <laughs> it's a very, very the long, multi-syllabic word. <laughs> word that kids are are required to learn when they're four years old. That's right. We're, we, but they do it. Like, that's right. And we don't say kids are going to, you know, well, we have preschool, but this is like pre-first grade. We don't say that. We say kindergarten. kindergarten. We're using an actual German term yeah. dating back to... Uh, 1870, which I but think is But the fact that kids are able to just pick up on that is, yes. is really remarkable. That's right. Yeah. And it shows the, the potential for human beings to, uh, when you have the words, you can define your experience. Yep. And I think that says something about, like Anne Frank, using language to define what her experience was, that if we have the language, we can 
we can talk about it. And in fact, that another one that comes up. Uh, do we have time for another one? We got we got time for two more. Okay, good. Um, this one comes up in um, 1935, um, and it's uh, June 10th is when Alcoholic Anonymous is founded. When Bill Wilson contacts his friend and they begin to have this support group. But again, it's the language. Being able to talk, being able to have that recognized uh, does something to people's experience. Now, it wasn't just about Alcoholics Anonymous. I think it's in general. We know from studies of people who have long lives that the people who have close connections, social connections, this makes a difference in terms of their life and their ability. But I think it's about being heard, being mm -hmm. listened to, uh, being expression. Uh, and if anything, I, I'm going to uh, uh, brag on WCHL does that so well. They always have a listening ear, uh, always, for the people in the community. And I think that's uh, something extraordinary and establishes connection and community uh, for everyone who listens. Speaking with Scott Washington, History Matters, uh, one more. What are we wrapping up with? Okay. Well, this is a fellow who... Um, uh, and on June 12th, um, or I'm sorry, June 11th, 1928, uh, he brought a dog from Switzerland named Buddy. His name was Morris Frank. He was blind. He heard about something about uh, helper animals that could help the blind. So he goes to Switzerland, gets this dog, then comes to New York City and actually walks with Buddy, calls the press, and shows how this dog is able to walk him across the street perfectly fine and uh, changes the perception of what, again, blind people can do or anybody with disability can do, we would call disability, and instead uh, expands our idea of the greater sense that uh, if we have some helpers, uh, we can do anything. And that is How History Matters. Scott Washington, as always, thank you so much. Thank you very much.